the way we live the rest of this year will be determined, will determine what your next year is going to look like. You know, just to look like a real big geek and Hebrew scholar, you know, we're in the year, the Hebrew calendar year, it's called the year of the Pi. And Hebrew words, what they have is each word is representation by picture. And this year in the Hebrew calendar, and I want to say it's like 15, is it 1580? I always get those wrong. But I know it's the year of the Pi, which is the picture of a mouth. And it's in the Hebrew calendar, which is different than our calendar, we're in the year of the declaration. And what I love, when you take the Hebrew calendar and you lay it over our calendar, we're going into the year of the Hebrew calendar, the year of declaring. The Bible says in Joel that declare a thing and it will be so. This is the year that you're to declare and prophesy what God is doing. Now, on our calendar, I'm so pumped about this. We're going into the year 2020. And I believe this. If you can begin to declare a thing, you'll begin to see a thing in this coming year for your life. But you're going to have to declare what God is saying over your life. Saying that to say this, getting us ready to go into this year starts with the way we choose to live. Good morning, guy. It is so good to have you here. It's been a bit. But welcome home. I follow you on Facebook. I know you're busy. But it's good to see you. And awesome. I haven't seen you since we married you. How's it going? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Right, it was family here today. But man, everything good? It's good to see you this morning. We're going into the year 2020. See a thing. Declare what God has said. Prophesy. And you're going to see God do it this year. We started a couple weeks ago about the four places that Jesus said thank you. I want to jump into one. And I believe you're gonna, this is going to be the word for someone today. Because you've been wondering, why hasn't my life changed? Why hasn't God blessed me the way I know He wants to? Why hasn't God moved me into what I know He has for me? I see the promises. I hear the promises. But I can't seem to get a hold of the promises. I'm about to give you the key today that I believe that the enemy's been using to hold you back. And if you will grab a hold to this message today, if you will grab hold to it and say, you know what, I'm just not going to be in this service. I'm just not going to be here at church, but I'm going to take something out of this thing and I'm going to put it into the rest of this year. Next year is going to be a year you've been waiting to see happen. And so we're going to jump right into it. In the book of, in the book of John, chapter 11, we're going to first take off this one time that Jesus said thank you. In John 11 and verse 14, I'm going to read this out of the message um, it's not a translation because I hate it when people get bothered when we say we're going to read other message translation. It's not. It's, it's a interpretation or it's a it's a paraphrase. But I like the way it provides it. It says it the same way in the King James and New King James, but it just uses a little different wording here. And it says this. It says in John eleven verse fourteen. It says or fourteen verse fifteen. It says and then Jesus became explicit. You know, in the King James it says and then Jesus said. I like how it says and Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. Now, I want to bring this out real quick to you and point out that circumstances that Jesus was looking at here were not the best circumstances. He was in full aware that things were not good at this moment in this time. He said, Lazarus died. 
He wasn't pretending. This is not positive thinking. This is not you just trying to make yourself put out a positive aura or a, um, you know, saying a good what you send out into the universe. Jesus did not deny the physical facts here that a man had just died and his family was devastated and everybody seemingly at this moment was going through something very difficult. And the reason why I wanted to say that is because this, I understand a lot of times when you come to church and people, you hear people talking about what God's doing and how it's like a lot of times they just miss, they don't maybe understand or they can't see that what you're going through is real. The real disease that the doctor told you that you might have or the real issues you're having in your marriage or the real problems with the bills are higher than the paychecks coming in. I want you to understand something. God is not a God that doesn't understand what you're really dealing with. The thing about it is God is a God that can change what your reality is today. And he said, Lazarus is dead. Then he said this. He said... And I am glad. Now that's a weird way to kick on into that statement. A man is dead and I am glad. That would make you think that he didn't like this guy very much if you just tried to take this one scripture and read it this one way. He said, Lazarus is dead and I am glad. Now that's crazy sounding. Especially when what you're facing is real. But the reason why Jesus said he was glad, he says it in this scripture, he says, for your, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't here because you're about to be giving new ground for believing. Now, let's go to him. One translation in this Bible says this, I'm glad it was better that I wasn't here because your faith is about to go to another level. I'm here to, to prophetically declare today, if you can get a hold to what we're going to talk about, your life is about to go to another level that you've been believing God to go take you to for a long time. There is another level. You need to understand this though. You say, well, Cricket, I want another level, but I don't know if there is another level. I'm here to tell you. I believe I was sent with the mission from God on this weekend to tell you there is another level. There is another way for you to live. There is something better. God has more in store for you than what you've been living and what you've been going through or what you've been dealing with. He did not. He understands what's been going on, but you need to understand this. Just because what we go through we don't like doesn't mean God's not involved in these situations. And so he said, it was better that I wasn't here. It was better that you are going through this situation because I'm here now and I'm not going to let it stay this way. But if you weren't going through this, you wouldn't come to the next level. You would have been living on this plane of life for the rest of your life. And that is not the will of God for you to live on the level that you've been living on for you to stay. You say, okay, my level's not that bad. I want you to understand something. If you're still living, God has another level. He's got more for you. The Bible says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. At any point that you get comfortable having what you have, you need to understand, you're not letting God use you the way He's wanting to use you. He's got more in store for you. And so, yes, the situation and circumstances you're going through may be tough, but it's because He's wanting to use these to take you to another level, to bring you to new ground, it says. I'm going to skip down now to verse 34, because it's not what we're preaching. And it says there, or uh, skip on down, it says, Master, we're going to skip on that. It says, Master, come and see. And they said, Now Jesus wept. If you're not familiar with this story, for the time and sake, it says that Lazarus died. He'd been dead three days. 
And the family was distraught. The family was disappointed. They felt like God had let them down. They'd done what they thought they should do, but Jesus even knew that Lazarus was sick. But the Bible clearly says that Jesus drug his feet on purpose. You ever felt like God's drug his feet on purpose in your life? You think, God, why aren't you moving now? I need you to fix this now. I need you to do it now. You need to understand that if God's dragging his feet, it's because he's got new ground he's wanting to bring you to. And the thing about it is most of the time, I'm trying to get God to move to where I am, and God's trying to get me to move to where he is. He's trying to get me to come through this thing different than I came into it. And the truth is this. I can stay in this situation as long as I want to. Or I can make the determination that I can allow God to do it His way. And so it says there is another level. It said the Master come and see. And then it said Jesus wept. The reason why I want to bring this part right here out. Because I want you to understand that a lot of times when you hear things like this, you think, well, man, God is playing games with me. Man, I feel like God is allowing me to go through bad things because He's like this major God up in heaven with a chessboard in our lives and, you know, playing a game in my situation and not caring about what I'm going through. You need to understand something. God is very emotionally connected into your life. And when you hurt, He hurts. When you cry, He cries. God, The Bible says cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. God is not a mean God. He's not playing games for you. He would truly only let you be in hard circumstances or hard situations for any length of time because he knows it is better for you on the other side. So he said Jesus wept because yes, God, Jesus knew this situation was going to turn around but he also knew this, that what this family was going through was real. And he wasn't denying the fact and it affects him. God cares about you. God cares about your kids. God cares about your marriage. God cares. He cares. And when it's like when I see my little girl, you know, sometimes there are things in my life that I have to do as a dad that are so unpleasant for me. I tell you, and it's probably a good thing that I had all girls because if I would have had a boy, you know, I don't think whooping would be near as hard. But for me to have to spank my child and their girls, it's tough, man. And sometimes I got to do it, though, because there's some of me in these kids. And if there's some, my mom used to whoop me every day. It's, it's just tough for me to do it, but I know if I'll do it, it's better for my children. But even in times when my kids are hurt, I've had to do things that were tough. There was one time, you know, me and Jen, we flip houses, and so my kids have grown up around construction sites pretty much since they could walk. And there was a time we were working on one of the houses, and Haley... She's the tougher kid. She's my middle child, and she was outside playing on the yard. So, and when she were playing, she were, they were running something. They fell, and she had scraped her knee and had messed it up pretty bad. I mean, the knee was all bleeding and stuff, and she'd come in. She was crying. She was trying to keep from crying, but she was crying. And when she came in, she was like, Daddy, I scraped my knee. And I looked at it, and the knee was scraped. But there were also little pieces of wood, and there was a little rock embedded into the skin and when I saw it my heart got so heavy and hard because this little girl is my little girl and she was playing she's hurting and she's bleeding but the thing I knew I was fixing to have to do is I was fixing to have to hold her down and get something to get that rock out because if I was leave that rock in that skin the damage that that rock would have done later would have been more great than the pain that she was experiencing then. 
And so, even though she probably weighs 35 pounds dripping wet, took me and her mama to hold her down. And she was screaming, don't do it, Daddy, don't do it, don't do it. And you talking about just melt. (laughs) But I knew that if I didn't, that then this would be worse later. I'm saying that to say this. God knows that circumstances and situations are not easy for you to go through. And the reason why God allows you to have to go through some things is because there's some things in our lives that He knows will keep us from reaching the destiny that He has for us to reach. And so there are times that you may think God is being cruel or mean to you. You need to know God's only for the good for you. And it said Jesus wept, and then the Jews looked how deeply he loved him. Um, Others among them said, well, if he had loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. He had the power to stop it. I don't know how many times. God, I know you got the power to change this situation. And it's like he wouldn't move and he didn't change. But I can now look back and see things that I were walking through at times and moments where I felt like God was pulling back from me when I felt like I needed him to reach into me. And I look back now and see how much better I am and better off it was that he wasn't there because it took me to another level. And he said this, and then Jesus, the anger, well, the other said to them, well, if he had loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened blind eyes. And then, then Jesus, the anger again welled up within him, arrived at the tomb, and it was a simple cave in a hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Everybody say, remove the stone. I believe the word you need today is going to be remove the stone. For you to move into the area of thanks living, there are seven ways that you can live in praise. But I'm going to talk about seven stones that I believe the enemy has tried to put in our lives. That if you allow these stones to stay there, they will rob you of your destiny because they will rob you of your praise said this. He said, remove the stone. And the sister of the dead, man Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. I, you know, you need to understand something. God doesn't mind stinking situations. You may say, Cricket, you don't know my job stinks. It's all right. God's not afraid of a little smell. <laughs> you say, Cricket, my, my marriage. See, you don't understand. God ain't scared of a little smell. And said, it's stinking now. And he said, Jesus, look, and this, he said this, Jesus looked in her eyes, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then the others said, go ahead, take away the stone. And they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go ahead and I'm going to jump over to the power of what I believe I've got to preach today and it's the power of thanks living. In Psalms 104, this is what the Bible says. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. The Bible says when Jesus was here, he preached this principle. The kingdom of God is at hand. And for years I interpreted that, that in other words, it's coming. It's at hand, it's coming. I want you to understand that's not what Jesus meant, that it's coming. 
Because God is going to come back again one day. But I don't have to wait till Jesus comes back for me to live kingdom of God living. I am living on earth and this is a fallen earth at this stage. But still available to me is the kingdom way of living. Now the Bible says when you pray there are two different ways that you live. One way that we live is we live naturally in this state, in this situation, in this pattern and in this world. But the Bible says this. The Bible says that when we pray we're to say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is somewhere right now that the kingdom of God is in full control and it is in heaven. In heaven, heaven is amazing. Because that is where the kingdom of God is. But the Bible says this. The Bible says that we can pray that the kingdom of God, God's way of living, the plans and God being in control of everything can take control here. And we're to pray and ask God to do it here. Not just wait till we're there. You don't have to wait for the pie in the sky when you die. I believe that when you move into a process, into an understanding of thanks living, you can enjoy the steak on the plate while you wait. God wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have a good job. He wants you to have godly children. He wants you to have good relationships. But the problem with this, most of us are wanting God to do all the work and God has already done all the work. Now he's waiting for you to activate what he has done. The kingdom of God and the principles of God are activated by actions that we take. Like in this room right now, there is power and light and we can see the effect of the light in here. But it took somebody walking in here this morning and flipping a switch before you could see anything in here. The power was here. It was connected to the generators. The light bulbs were still in place, but the switch was off. See, the kingdom of God is at hand. All you got to do is be willing to flip the switch, activate what God has for you. Now, this is what the Bible said. This says you will enter into his kingdom. You will enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There is an action that you have to take for God to be able to begin to release his way of living in your life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Now that sounds pretty cool. Didn't say give in everything for everything give thanks. You don't give God thanks for everything. I don't thank God for everything because the devil's constantly trying to do things in my life that God didn't have anything to do with. So I don't thank God for what the devil's done, but I do thank God in everything. So when the devil's trying to do stuff in my marriage, in my job, in my finances, in my health, in my sanity, in my thinking, in my relationships, I can thank God that I'm not just going through this alone. I can thank Him that I'm going through this with Him and I'm not going to do it just the way anybody else would do it. I'm going to do it in a thanks living kind of way and I'm going to do it the way He wants me to do it. It says, they says this, it said, give thanks in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. You want the will of God released into your life. You have to move to a place where you understand that thanksgiving has to take place even when you're going through it. A lot of people want to celebrate or thank God when they've gotten across the river into the promised land. Do you understand? A lot of people read when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, the water separated, God provided a way to get them there. And the Bible says that Joshua told the elders of each tribe of Israel to pick up a stone and carry it to the other side. So when they were walking through the river, they were picking up stones, carrying them to the other side of the river. And when they got into the promised land, they built an altar. But a lot of people just over 
overlook this principle. The Bible says while they were doing that, Joshua was going to the other side and picking up a stone and coming back into the middle of the river. And he was stacking stones in the middle of the river because when they were building an altar on the other side, Joshua was building an altar right in the middle of the river and the altar in the river of the river was never going to be seen because as soon as they were done, the water covered it up. But he knew this principle. If I'm going to have victory on the other side, I'm going to have to learn how to give thanks while I'm right in the middle of this situation too. A lot of people just want to wait till they get over to where God has got them where they want to be. You need to understand you're never going to get where God wants you to be unless you can get right in the middle of your situation and you start building an altar to be able to say, I'm going to thank you in all things. I'm going to thank you going through all things. And I know if I can thank you right here in the middle, it's only a matter of time before I'm standing where you wanted me to be. And the Bible says this is the will of God. How do you release the will of God in your life? You get yourself to a place where you can begin to praise God no matter what you're going through. You praise God. You say, well, how do I praise God? Do I just do positive thinking? No, you praise God. You're not going through it alone. You praise God that God has a will of God for your life and it's not going to end this way. You praise God that he's never failed you in the past. He's not going to fail you now. You find some way to begin to move into a part, a heart of thankfulness and giving praise. Check this out. The Bible says this in Isaiah 61, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to confront all who mourn, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You ever had a headache? I'm not a headache person. Jennifer, she'll get um, headaches sometimes, and you know, she's not a medicine person, but the only time I ever see Jennifer, I'll, shoot, man, you hurt my finger, I'm taking Tylenol. But Jennifer doesn't take medicine hardly at ever, except when she gets a headache. And so, when she gets a headache, she's like, hey, I got a headache, and she goes to the medicine cabinet, and she starts looking for the Tylenol, because on the bottle of Tylenol, it says, pain reliever, and it actually has the word headache on the bottle. So you take Tylenol for it's what it's made for. Now here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a spirit of heaviness. You need to understand something. That God is not the only spirit out there. There are multiple kinds of spirits that are after you and the destiny that God has created you to live. And if they get, just as God gets up every day, I don't know even, he don't sleep, but just like every day you get up, God is working on your behalf, working constantly to bring about his will in your life. The enemy is there every day trying to stop it. And there are antidotes, just like, you know, there's antidote. If I get, you know, if I get bit by a snake, there is an anti-venom that they have created that will stop the effects of that snake venom in my body. Here the Bible says this, that when the spirit of heaviness comes against me, that there's an antidote for that. You need to understand, for you to move into thanksgiving... The enemy is going to do everything he can do to keep you from having a spirit of praise. But you have to know this. If you will fight for the spirit of praise. You say, what do you mean fight, Craig? The Bible says that praise is a sacrifice. 
And nothing is a sacrifice if it isn't hard or it doesn't cost. And if praise is a sacrifice, then if I only do it when I feel good, it's not praise. Because praise is a sacrifice. That means when I make the choice to do it when things are good, when I make the choice to do it when things are bad, when I make a choice to do it when I don't feel like it, when I roll in tired, when I roll in exhausted, when I make the choice because it's what I need to do to stop what the enemy's trying to do in my life, it becomes an antidote for what the enemy's trying to do. Here the Bible says that there's a spirit of heaviness. There are enemies that the enemy has sent as an assault to stop you from producing the will of God in your life and you becoming what God has planned for you to be. In Numbers 31, it really draws out the seven in a picture. And this is where I want to take you today. Because I believe this. I believe there's somebody in your day been saying, why in the world is this not working on my behalf? Why in the world has God not begun to bless me like He has those? Why in the world is it every time I try to go forward, it's like I hit this brick wall and I'm here to tell you this. Because I believe maybe you just did not know that it was one of these demonic spirits that has been sent to stop you from being what God has created and called and destined you to be. He, they have been fighting the purpose of God on your life to a point that you have just grown weary in this process. But when we flip the light on and you can see it changes it all. In Numbers 31, verse 1, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Say, Thank God He still speaks. I'm so glad we serve a God that speaks to me. He speaks to you. And I'm here to declare there is a Word of God for you in this message today. And it said, The Word of the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel after you shall be gathered to your people. Now, that sounds like a mean old God again right there. He says, Why would God want the children of Israel to take vengeance? That's a strong word. That's you know, One translation says, Take revenge. In other words, go get them for what they have done. You know, a lot of times when I, somebody bothers me, I, I'm of the personality of, you know, my, I'm like, go get them. Let's go get them. Let's get them back. Let's get them back. Revenge is something that I battle with in the spirit, right? But here, the Lord's saying, go take vengeance. Why? Why would God be so hard or strong against this people or this enemy. You need to understand each one of these, these enemies in the Bible and the Old Testament represent something that the enemy is trying to do, the devil is trying to do in your life. Here it's the Midianites. Why did God want the Midianites dealt with so bad in their life? Because for years the Midianites had done two things in the children of Israel. One, they were constantly pulling the children of Israel off course, trying to get them to worship another God, constantly pulling them away from what God was calling them and causing that nation to become. It was a constant pull on them. And then two, the Midianites had had partnered with the Moabites, and the Moabites were in the Bible. They were constantly trying to steal the harvest of the children of Israel. 
The Bible says the Moabites always attacked it right before spring. When you study in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it says the children of Israel would be getting ready for harvest, and the Moabites, they always waited till spring to come and attack, because they would come and attack right before the harvest was ripe. So God would, they would be like, the children of Israel would do all this work for all this season, getting ready to finally move into a time of bountiful harvest in their life. They could see the fruit ripening. They could see the fields glistening. And they would be like, all right, it's almost time. It's almost time. I can see it's just right there. And then the Moabites would come in every spring, the Bible says, and would raid the children of Israel and rob them of their harvest. I don't know about you, but I have felt like so many times I have gotten right to the brink of what God has for me, right to the edge of where God was. I knew what God was telling me. It's like, well, I would hit this brick wall. There would be something that would just stop and just take all of it away. And that you need to know this. That is the spirit of the Moabites. That is the spirit of the enemy. The Bible says that they would came and they would rob them at every spring. Yes. And so God was sick and tired of two things here. He was tired of the, the Midianites constantly drawing or luring the children away from their destiny. And he was sick and tired of letting them do all the work and them losing it right at the end of the thing. God was ready for them to step into what he had for them. Are you ready this year to step into what God has for you? As you read on down, we're going to skip down because there's a lot of reading in this chapter. You can read it on your own. But we're going to skip down to verse 3. It says, And so Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites, and take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of the tribes of Israel, and you shall, and you shall send to war. You need to understand something. If you're going to step into your year this year, you're going to have to decide you're going to have to fight for it. It's not just going to happen. The enemy is determined enough to stop you. You're going to have to fight for it. You say, well, Cricket, why do I fight? I'm glad you asked. We're going to go to verse 7. It says, And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those that were killed, the Evi, the Rukin, the Zor, the Hur, and the Reba. The five kings of Midian, Balaam the son of Bor, they also killed with the sword. I'm about to tell you today, the enemy has been attacking you and the level of life you've been living. And you're in this circumstance, in this situation right now because God knows that it's good that we go through hard times sometimes because if you don't go through a hard time and learn to win in the valley, you won't be able to handle it on the mountaintop. You need to understand something. This is not an odd concept. God will and has led people into the wildernesses that had devils in them. The Bible says Jesus was led into the wilderness and he knew there was a devil there. Why would God do that? Is God mean? Is he hateful? No. God knows if the only reason why God would have allowed Jesus to go in and not just allowed him to, led, the Bible says Spirit led him into the wilderness where he knew the devil was, led him into to be tempted by the devil. The Bible says the only reason why God would have allowed that if God knew, if God didn't know that Jesus had what it took in him to win that battle. If you're in this situation, the only reason why God's allowing you to go through this is because he knows what you have in you is the ability to win this thing. So the question is, are you going to win? Do you want 
to win. If you do want to win, then all it is a matter of you understanding what it is you're fighting. So we're going to talk about these seven spirits that the enemy has sent against you to assault your destiny that has been keeping you from moving into the life that you dream of, that you've just been waiting to get to, that you've been able to, that you have, if, if this could just happen, God, praise would not be a sacrifice anymore. It would be a spontaneous result of what it is that I do. And you're on the brink of getting it. We just have to know what we're doing. Number one, the Midianites, their word, they're derived from the very word called strife or strife makers. You need to understand this. There is nothing more powerful in the enemy's arsenal to keep a Christian or to keep a child of God or a believer from moving into their destiny of God than strife. Strife will keep you from being able to move forward into what God has for you because what strife does is it disqualifies you from possessing what God wants you to possess. You need to understand this, that if you are living in a constant state of strife, the enemy is using that to keep you from being broke through into your future. And you know what happens is that strife is conflict, it's anger, it's drama. Do you know people that are just every time you meet them, every uh, circumstance, every interaction you have with them, it's like you walk away from it feeling like you've been wrestling a bear because it was just drama, drama, drama or stress, stress, stress. You need to understand something. If you're going to be what God has created you and called you to be, you're going to have to get yourself to a place that you recognize that the spirit of strife has been sent against you. And now if you allow that spirit to stay there, if you allow that spirit to stay in your marriage, the spirit of strife will break your marriage. If you allow it to stay on your job, it will eventually get you to be fired off your job. If you allow it to stay in your circumstances, every relationship will be affected by the spirit of strife. The Midianites were, they were always, all the way through the Bible, constantly causing issues and drama and stress for the children of Israel. The enemy has sent people into your life to constantly keep you in a state of stress and strife. If he can keep you in strife, he can keep you from doing what God has called you do. You say, well, Cricket, show it to me. Well, David wanted to build the house of God. He had everything it took to build the house of God. He had the money. He had the go. But God says, you can't build it, David, because you've been spending too much of your life fighting other people. You say, well, that's hard. It was hard. David's heart was to build that thing. But he said, you've been a man of war your whole life, David. Your children are going to have to do it because you've spent your life fighting. You need to understand something. If you... Don't mind drama. You don't mind strife. If you are a strife maker, if you are a strife creator, you are allowing a spirit to keep you from moving into the place for God because you can't strife and praise at the same time. You can't move into a thanks living life if you're fighting everybody. You can. The biggest plan the enemy tries to use against people from moving into the destiny that God has. And you need to understand something. God's plan for the children of Israel, he was serious about it. He was serious about it. He was saying, I want you to go kill these people because these people are going to keep you from becoming what you're going to be as a nation. God is serious about your destiny too. And he knows this. And so there are certain people you need to understand. The Bible says that we are to love everybody, but I've had to get old enough in my life to realize I can't just hang out with everybody. I might love everybody, but I might have to love certain people from a distance. Because if I allow certain people into my life that are affected by a spirit of strife that the enemy is sending in my, they'll cause strife in my marriage, they'll cause strife on my job, they'll cause 
strife in my head. They'll cause strife in my thinking. And I know this, that the enemy and the spirit of strife will keep me from becoming. I, 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 my biggest thing now is this. I'm a fighter by nature. That is my personality. You Growing up, I had a little man syndrome, and that's why I got all the scars. That's why most of my front teeth are covered in feelings and all good, because I got beat up a whole lot. But I got beat up enough to learn to fight back a little bit. And so the thing about it was this. If I could get you with something in the first 30 seconds, then I could win. If I couldn't knock you down after 30 seconds, you were probably going to beat me. But I had learned to fight. And my thing is this. I grew up getting things done by fighting. I grew up getting things done and getting my way with fighting. When I got married, I would, me and Jennifer, I didn't understand that the enemy was sending spirits into my marriage to try to hurt and keep our marriage from being what it was supposed to be. And so I was a fighter by nature, so something would happen. I would think I'd fight my way through this thing until I realized that is not what God has called me to do. And if I allowed that spirit to control me instead of the Holy Spirit that is to bring in peace, then I'm never going to have the marriage that God wants me to have. And so I had to decide, am, am I willing to fight for what I feel like is right, or am I willing more to have the Holy Spirit so full on the inside of me that it will allow God to change my marriage to what it is and I don't have to do it myself. Strife will keep you out of what God has called you to do. And you've got to get serious enough about it that you're going to say, the Bible says, blessed is the peacemaker. You say, well, Cricket, what do I do if I'm married to this one that's always in the drama? What do I do if it's my daughter that's always doing it? Then what you do is this. You get so full of the Holy Spirit that the peace on the inside of you affects the fight on the inside of them and it takes two people to fight. You need to understand that. If somebody's fighting by themselves, they get tired of swinging at the air. But if you're giving them something to hit, you're fighting with them. So what you need to do sometimes is just pull back and let God do the fighting for you. And you said, I'm not going to let this thing get me into. That spirit of strife is not going to pull me into something that's going to pull me out of what God has for me. Because you can't live a thanks living life if you are always living a life of strife. And so number two, it's the Eva spirit, which Eva derives from the word of my desires. Now, you need to understand something. Every single person in here has their own desires, and you also have desires that God has given you. The Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. And so you need to know this about your desires. You need to, every desire that you have, you need to Take them, evaluate them, and determine where those desires come from. Because there's nothing in your life stronger in your life that will pull you off the destiny of God, off your life, than your desires and the desires that you have. Because, see, desires in our lives, they have the power to direct the direction. And we live in a society now that teaches this. You know, uh, we actually teach this to children. It says, you know, if you want to be successful in life, you're to pursue your passions. And if you'll pursue your passions, you'll be happy. I want you to know something. If you pursue your passions, your marriage is going to fall apart. You pursue your passions, your bank account's going to be empty. You pursue your passions, you're going to go through depression because your passions are like a roller coaster. They're up and down and up and down. You don't pursue passions. What you do is you make your passions pursue purpose. And if you'll put your passions behind your purpose, what will happen is your desires won't lead you off the track of God. I'll say it to you like this. There's, there's nothing more powerful 
powerful in the devil's life than strife in the enemy's hand than strife to keep you off the, your uh, destiny of God. There's nothing more powerful in your hands to keep you from accomplishing the will of God than your own desires and your own passions. You have got to be able to understand what a what the wrong desires are, are desires that control you, that dominate your thinking, that make you make choices that are contrary to what God's plan for your life is. It will put you in a place where God's plan will be so far from what you can do because they have put you in a place that God now can't use you because you didn't pursue His plans, you pursued your desires. It will pull you out of God's plan. It will put you in a place that you won't be able to, even if you have a chance, be able to. Jesus said this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible said Jesus knew what was happening. He knew what the will of God for his life was. But he said this. He got himself there and he said, you know, God, not my desires, but your desires. You need to understand something. You can't just live and do whatever you want to live and do. If you live and do whatever you want to live and do, you're going to find a marriage wrecked. You're going to find bank accounts empty. You're going to find yourself in a place where you, you know, like you'll find yourself where it will destroy you. It will do every, your desires to get to a place. This is what the Bible said. The Bible said that Jesus said, I am not going to do what I want to do. There's sometimes you can't do what you want to do. You're going to have to make the choice to do what you need to do. If you're going to live what God wants you to live or the life that you know that God has for you, you just can't go around doing whatever you want to do. You can't eat whatever you want to eat. You can't drink whatever you want to drink. You can't buy whatever you want to buy. you got to decide every decision that I make is this my decision or, or my desire is this a desire from God. Because the dangerous desires will get you to be, you'll become a father before you're supposed to become a father you'll become a uh, you know, you'll get out of a marriage that God never wanted you to get out of a marriage you'll find yourself in debt that God never wanted you to get into debt you'll find yourself hanging out with people that God never wanted you to hang around you'll find yourself behind jail bars that God never intended your desires will lead you to a place that will keep you from ever being able to accomplish the will of God so what you got to do is say this God is it my desire or is it your desire do I want my way or your way? Because your desires will get you to a place. And the Bible says this. The Eva, it was, they, Eva, they, we, they had to kill the king of Eva. You got to decide that God's plan for my life is better. And God is not denying me a good life. God has a better life than I could even imagine or think. It says, no eye has seen, no ears heard, even the good things that God has for those that, that love him. And so God has so many things for you. But a lot of times we think, I want this so bad that if I could just get this, I'll be happy. And then you get it and you're miserable. But when you resist the Bible, I love the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. Because in the Bible, there it proves that you can resist wrong desires. Somebody needs to hear this. You don't think you can. You think that desire is more powerful than you. You think it's, it's, it's in control and you don't have any say. You need to know this. You can control those desires. Jesus will give you the power to resist those desires. And if you'll just make the decision next time you're there. The Bible said this. The Bible said, he told the disciples, come and pray with me. Come and say, well, where does this power come from? Prayer. 
prayer, Jesus was in a situation where his desires were so strong that he wanted to turn away from the destiny of God for his life because he knew that, that this would make me more happy than that, God. But I, I, And he was in this battle that he was in. And he said, I got to pray. He said, disciples, come pray with me. And he said, they prayed and they prayed and then they fell asleep. And the Bible said this, Peter, James, and John went a little bit farther. Went a little bit farther and then they fell asleep. And then it said this, Jesus went a little bit farther. The next time you find yourself in a place where that desire seems so strong, you ask God, God, help me hold just a little bit farther. They say the, the, the power of a temptation only lasts at the most three minutes. When's the last time you caved in under your desire? What if you could have just held out three minutes? And that desire would have pulled back. It would, now it may have come right back in a minute, but it would have, that one would have released. Next time you feel like you've got to cave in to your desire, ask God to hold me just a little bit longer. And you pull your watch out and you watch it. And in three minutes, see if you don't have the strength. God will give you the strength to say no. Next battle. The Recom. The Recom, the word comes out of the spirit the enemy was sending is called a mixture. It comes out of a mixture or dilution. The enemy will come against you to keep you from being able to live this life that God wants you to live, that you could be so thankful for. But trying to get you to think it's okay to live a deluded life. I'm here to tell you this. The gospel is still the gospel that was written when the gospel was written. The Bible is still as relevant as it was the day that it saved. The beggars, the say that it saved the blind, the day that it raised Lazarus from the dead. The gospel has not changed. What has happened is this generation has diluted what the gospel means. I want you to know something. If the Bible says it's sin, it's sin. If the Bible says it's going to destroy your life, it will destroy your life. The enemy, this king, will come and tell you, you know, well, God really didn't understand the days that you live in now. The Bible's really not that relevant. You know, smoking that really doesn't really bother you. I mean, it's legal now. Or drinking that, you know, it really, it, or watching that, or, or doing that, or acting that, or, you know, well, God really don't care if we just live together. You know, I mean, he didn't know then that, you know, nowadays people don't get married till they test drive it and see if it's going to fit. I mean, you'd never buy a car unless you did that. And God, they, I want you to know something. That is a spirit the enemy has sent against you to try to convince you that the Word of God is not, is what it, is not what it says, it's what you want to live. And if you allow the Spirit to dilute the Gospel, you will allow the Spirit to keep you from moving to a place in your life that God will be able to release the blessings that He's desiring to release into your life. Now not only does this spirit dilute the gospel? But also, this spirit tries to dilute you. Amen. This spirit tries to convince you that there's something wrong with the way God made you. This spirit tries to make you think that I need to be like somebody else and I don't need to be 100% me because 100% me is not enough. You need to know something. The enemy sends relationships into your life to try to tell you you need to dilute it down. You need to quit being a little... You're a little bit too radical. You don't have to be that crazy. You don't need to love God that much. You don't need to go to church that often. Trying to dilute you from being you. 
I want you to understand something. You need to find out who you are. And then any relationship in your life that the enemy has sent to try to keep you from being who you are, you need to cut that relationship off. Because that will be a relationship that will keep you from being all that God made you to be. He said you are wonderfully and beautifully created. I want you to know something. Anybody trying to keep you from... The only change that people should infect you with is for you to be more like God. If they're trying to affect you in any other way, I want you to know their assignment from the enemy. Because God don't make mistakes, read Genesis. Everything He made was good. You are good. You are amazing. You are exactly who God wants you to be. And anybody tell you any different, they're trying to put the enemy, put them in your life to try to control you. I want you to know something. I'm so glad Jennifer's not just like me. I'm so glad she, because she helps me get better. Iron sharpens iron. God puts people in our lives that are different because what God wants us to do is us get better. And so what you got to do when people are trying to make you like them, you need to understand something. It's a spirit. You say, well, they're wanting me to get saved. Well, that's not, that's not the same spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. All right? Any spirit trying to get you closer to God is God. Any spirit trying to keep you from being what God's made you is not from God. Next enemy. We're going to move through these quickly. I'm sorry. The spirit of Zer. Now, Zer comes out of the word called stone. This king said they killed the killed the king of Zer and the word root comes out of stone and it means hard things. Hard times. And we're living in a time now where we, the enemies convinced, convinced a lot of us that God's will for your life is not to have to do hard things or even go through hard times. And that is a lie from the enemy. You will go through hard things. But God will give you the power to deal with hard things. God has called you to do hard things. Because this is a principle. If you will do the hard things now, your life will get easier. But if you do the easy things now, your life will get harder. You need to understand something. God told the children of Israel if they're going to move into the promised land and be what God's called them to be, to be able to be a nation that can worship and live and be fruitful the way that God intended them for them to be, they were going to have to learn to deal with kings of hard things. You're going to have to do hard things. You're going to go through hard times. You need to understand something, men. You need to work a job. You do not need to just go to the mailbox and get a check out of it weekly and think, God is blessing me. No. The Bible says a man that doesn't work is worse than an infidel. God wants you to have to deal with hard things. Because if you don't learn how to deal with hard things, then anything will deal with you. You need to learn. God will give you the power and the strength. I want you to know, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is be married. But one of the greatest things you'll ever do is be married. The greatest things in life were hard to get. The hardest things in life become become the things that make you better and stronger. Though it's the same if it didn't kill you, it just made you stronger. That's right. People that are running from hard things or hard times or hard situations, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, or what's happening is the enemy is moving them to a place to where they can be ineffective for what God's called you because you need to understand something. The destiny of God for your life is not an easy road, but it's a worth it road. God will use you to do impossible things and they will not be easy. They will not be, but we were just looking for an easy way 
way out or an easy fix to this. We look for things to get me out of this situation. What we need to start doing is saying, God, help me deal with the king of hard things. Let me deal with this. It's hard to say you're sorry when you're wrong. It's hard to tell your kids you love them when they act like crazy. It's hard to move into a time of of worship when you've been at work all day. It's hard to come to church. It's hard to pay your tithes when it doesn't look like you got enough to pay your bills. It's hard to get up and come Sunday after Sunday when you haven't had a weekend off in three weeks. It's hard to live for God, but I want you to know something. You cannot convince me it's not worth it because I tried it when I didn't and I'm doing it now and my life is so much better and so much greater than it's ever been, but I had to decide I'm going to deal with some hard things. I'm going to be willing to do some hard things in my life. I'm going to have to be willing to keep my mouth shut when I'm hanging out with certain people. I'm going to have to. It's hard not to gossip. I got to be honest with you. People will give you such good things to talk about, and you're like, man, they gave that to me. I got. I should be. It's hard not to gossip. It's hard not to backbite. It's hard not to talk about people. It's hard to be kind when somebody's a jerk. It's hard to be actually look at people when they're being such an idiot and act like they're not. That stuff is hard, but hard things are worth doing because there are many times, many times have I been the idiot and somebody was having to do it for me. You know, it's hard, but God will give you. If you make this decision, I declare this over you. You say, God, help me get through the hard things. Help me deal with the hard issues. Give me the strength to make the hard decisions. Make me the one that will do what's hard now, and God will make your life easy later. You have to deal with the spirit of hard. Then going to the cross was hard. It was hard. But Jesus knew you were worth it. And he knew nothing else would do it except him being beat and him being hung. Number five, this is what the Bible says in Psalms 34, 17. It says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I declare this to you today. There's nothing too hard for your God. There's nothing too hard. You say, well, Cricket, I I just don't know if God can change him. There's nothing too hard for your God. I don't think God can fix this. There's nothing too hard for your God. If you'll be willing to run after the hard things, God will turn the hard things in your favor. There's nothing too hard for God. Number five, her. Means to shrink back, to retreat into a cave. There are three things the enemy, the Bible says, that are spirits that the enemy tries to use against you to keep you from being able to praise God the way that you can praise God. The first one is fear. The Bible says God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. The enemy tries to send spirits of her that try to get you to draw back into a cave, to move back into your hiding. Some of them, the enemy comes against you with fear. You think, if I try that, I will fail. The enemy's trying to whisper in your ear that if I do that, people will think, if I act that way, people won't care. If I open myself up like that, I'll be hurt. You need to understand something. The voice of fear is prophetic, and the word of God is prophetic. Whichever one you listen to is what you will have in your future. And this king must be killed, the king of fear in your life. There are some people that, you know, what they do is they get in a habit. They come out and they live for a while, but then all of a sudden the enemy comes at them with the spirit of fear. You get afraid that the word of God is not going to happen, so you pull back and you reserve back into your cave. There are some of us in here, and spiritually speaking, you're living great. Groundhog. You're constantly, you ever seen that movie Groundhog Day? It's like every day is the same and every 
every day is the same because you come out of your hole and you go back in. Come out of you're letting fear control what decisions you make. You're making fear keep you from doing what you know God's destined you to do. Fear will keep you living the same day over and over and over again. What in the world is that groundhog scared of? When he steps out there, it's his own shadow. How crazy it is. If we, when, we, when I watch that every year, I'm always telling the girls, girls, that's crazy. That's so crazy. That groundhog's so scared. Yeah, I don't even know if it's real or not, but we talk about it. But there are Christians that just actually live so afraid they don't step out of their cave. You've got to decide. You've got to break that spirit of fear. This is what it is. Fear, you may never not feel afraid. But courage is not not feeling afraid. It's doing it anyway. You take a step out for God. If you feel God's calling you to do it, you do it. And if you fail, oh well. God will pick you up, dust you off, and you'll go again. So don't you let fear keep you in there. All right? Next thing is shame. The, fear, the spirit of shame. The Bible says that he didn't come to the world to condemn the world. So when the enemy comes against you with shame, he's resorts pulling you back into a cage. Pulling you back into a cave. There are some of us that can't step forward into what God has for us because we're afraid of what we've done in the past actually has the power to affect what God's going to do in our future. You need to understand something. What you've done in your past cannot affect, stop, or even move God in any way to, to and help Him determining what your future will be like. As a matter of fact, the Bible says He can't even see your past. It's been erased. Once you put it under the blood, it's gone. And if you allow the enemy to keep you a king of her, to keep reigning over you that your past mistakes are keeping you from it, they've disqualified you, then that king is going to keep reigning in your life and you will never possess a life that you can truly worship and praise God for. The best worship and the best praise you'll ever give is when you realize, yeah, I was not worthy, but Jesus says I am. And I'm going to praise him for that. You move past the thing of your shame. And then lastly is doubt. This has been attacked at the enemy's use against people to keep them in bondage from the very beginning. Every time the devil speaks to you, he speaks doubt. When he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, this is what he said. Did God really say? He didn't have to tell a single lie. All he had to do was bring up the question of doubt. And I don't know about you, but the enemy's constantly trying to get me to doubt God, trying to get me to doubt myself, trying to get me to doubt my family, trying to get me to doubt my abilities. And I feel this is what I've learned. If he's going to bring it on me, I'm going to bring it on him. And this is what I've decided. Anytime I see the spirit of doubt coming on me, I'm going to take hold to that spirit, and I'm going to turn it back on him. And then when he tells me, hey, she's never going to change, I'm going to look at him and say, devil, I doubt it. And if she says, you know, you're never going to get healed, devil, I doubt it. I decided if he's going to try to make me doubt God, I'm going to let him know that it's him the one I'm going to doubt. So you try. Next time the devil makes you think you're not going to make it, you say, oh, devil, I doubt it. You just watch. God's going to turn this situation around in my life. Come out of your cave and you tell the devil that he's the one that's going to be the doubt. You're not. Because right, you got to know this. If you'll believe it, you'll have it. If you'll doubt it, you won't. All right, so going into number five. Number six. Reba. The king of Reba. The king of Reba comes from multiple sides or every side or completely surrounded. See, this is an attack that the enemy tries to use to keep you from being able to praise us. It's called the spirit of overwhelming. And see, the Bible says 
we read it, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you feel so overwhelmed and, and so oppressed and so that you can't praise, the devil wins. But when you know that this is just the spirit, that feeling, those emotions, what's going on is just the spirit, then what you understand is this. If I defeat the spirit, I will get the promise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Chronicles chapter 20, this is what the Bible says. It says, And it happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonite came to battle against Jehoshaphat. They had them coming in on this side and they had them coming in on this side and they had them coming in on this side and they had them coming in on this side. Everywhere they turned, the enemy was fighting them. I tell you, you know you're getting close to your breakthrough when the enemy moves to this area of desperacy and he brings it on you all at one time. And then you're sitting there thinking, I've got all these balls in the air. I'm trying to juggle all these things and I'm going to have to let one of them go to let one of them win. You need to know something. God will give you victory in every single one of your areas. You won't just have to win in ministry and lose in your family. You won't win on job and give up as a Christian. You can win on every one of these attacks. If you'll understand, it's just a spirit. Here in this story, the Bible says that the spirit came in from them on all sides and this is what the Lord told them. He told them this, rise up and take your position. It says here in verse, uh, Joe, what verse is that? I, I delete our verse uh, 15. Thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because this is a great, because of this great multitude. Don't you give up. Don't you get worried. If all, you may, it may be coming at you from every side. You may be getting it from everybody, but you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be dismayed. The Bible says quit losing it. Quit blowing it. Quit just going rattled and losing yourself. It says, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but the battle is God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the... And Shirley said, I love that. They will surely. You think, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to praise you. No, you need to know they're coming. You need to know they're coming and God's going to show you the victory in every one of them. He says, surely they will come up against you and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. You need to quit fighting in your battle. You need to quit fighting, quit trying to do it, quit trying to be right, quit trying to fight, quit trying to do it on your own. He said, you do not need to fight in this battle. It said this. It says, stand still. Position yourself and stand still and you shall see the salvation of the Lord. This king is defeated. Let me ask you because you say, well, what is the position that you need? Now, we didn't have time to get into the seven different praises. Each seven word for praise has a different position. position. One of them is here. One of them is prostrate before the Lord. He's given us seven ways to praise. Because the enemy sends in seven ways to keep you from being able to praise. And this one, when he tries to overwhelm you, in this position, I've been there so many times. I've gotten up and looked at the things or responsibilities that are so over my head that I'm so responsible for. And this is what I do. I move to a place of the praise that knows that I'm not enough. But I know He is. And when you move to the position of praise, instead of to the position of stress and beg, then when you move to that one, He begins to move for you. And this is what the Bible says. 
Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out then, for the Lord is with you. I've never woke up a single day that I felt that way. And I chose to take my position that I'm not enough, but you are. That the next day, my situation wasn't different. They said, tomorrow, you'll see. So you got to come against the spirit of overwhelming. Number seven, and I have to get this one because it's super important. Because up to this point, the first one was the Midianites. It was an army. Then the next five were all kings. But then the last one, the Bible says, that he gave him victory over was not a king. The last one was a prophet. The prophet of Balaam. And the prophet of Balaam is the story where the donkey did the prophesying instead of the prophet. This prophet was not of God. Balaam actually comes from when you do all the weirdo geek and read study on it all. It means not of us or not for us. This was a prophet that wasn't a prophet of Israel, but he had the gift of prophecy. And he'd been bought off by a king to go against what God had told him to do. And he wanted to do it so bad that God just pulled back and was going to let him do it. And it was going to cost him his life. And, you know, these one of them weird stories in the Bible. And the donkey turned around and talked to him. And... But this is what I believe you're going to have to do to live this life that God's called you to move into this year. Be able to move into a thanksgiving lifestyle. You're going to have to move into a lifestyle that is willing to go against every word that is speaking, that has been spoken over you in your life that was not from God. We've been put in such boxes by people speaking things to us and we allowed what they said to go in us that they changed who we even were. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just like your father. You're never going to do anything good. You're so stupid. I say this. My mom, y'all know the story. They, my mom and dad were way out there, right? And my mom tells you, it's not me, God. So when my mom got saved, um, she'll tell you, her biggest issue was cussing. Because she was a cusser. All right, so now when you see mom, you think, whoa, you were a cusser? But um, I, mom had said, we, my mom and dad had four kids when they were 21. They had a lot of kids young. And so my parents got saved at 20. So most of my childhood, honestly, I grew up with parents that were, you know, the Bible says that you're saved, your spirit saved instantly. It says you're being saved, that's the renewing of your mind, and one day you will be saved. That's when we get to heaven, we're going to get a glorified body. All right? Most of my childhood was growing up with a saved mother, but one that's, whose mind was being renewed. And the enemy used this prophetic word through somebody that even loves me. My mom would lay her life down for me. No question. But because of weakness in her life, as the renewing of the mind, this was her favorite word. When we would do something growing up, that we would be called stupid idiot. That's why, I mean, y'all stupid idiots, y'all get in here. And I rem- that's what I remember. Well, and I'm sure she called us a lot of good things too. But see, the spirit here is looking for words that were spoken over you that were not of God. 
And so when my mom would say, you stupid idiot, and when I got in first grade and got put in special education, what do you think I started thinking? When I started growing up and found out I got learning disabilities. What did you start? And then I would have teachers saying, you know, you're always going to struggle with these. These are learning disabilities. And, you know, I was in special ed through elementary and public school. They put us, so I got basically kicked out of public school because I decided it wasn't for me. And so I decided I'd fight my way out. So my parents actually started a Christian school. Honestly, their testimony is to get me and my brother saved because we were going to hell quick. And... I got put in school, and this is just the truth. I was in Christian school. My parents were the pastors of the church, and I was a deviant mind anyway. And so there were things at my disposal, so I figured out how to steal parents' keys and go make copies and get into test rooms and pass tests that way. And they were like, I really believed. Words spoken out of flesh, not out of heart or spirit, that I believed I allowed them to be prophetic in my life and they would cause me to be challenged I was afraid to go after things for years I thought God could never use somebody that reads the way I do or thinks the way I do or needs to be medicated the way they say I need to be medicated or do what I and so for years I really decided that my brother Val Victorian my sister Val Victorian and all them they're smart they can do that stuff but I'm not And that spirit held me chained and captive for a long time. And it was a spirit of prophetic speaking that didn't come from God, but it came from an enemy that wanted to keep you from ever being all that you can be. Let me tell you what God said about that spirit. In Isaiah 54, 17, this is what he said. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you will be shown to be in the wrong. And matter of fact, what that means is this. All of you guys came here today to listen to a stupid idiot talk on this stage. And you've been sitting in here 10 minutes longer than you should have. And there's fried turkey out in the thing. In other words, if there's never proof that God's word is stronger than what anybody has ever spoken over me in the past is proof that I spend my life talking now. I spend my life teaching now. I spend my life preaching now. Because that spirit that the enemy sent in of Balaam to prophesy what my future would be that goes contrary to what the word of, when they said you'll never change when they said that you'll never be good enough when they said you're not smart enough when they said you're the wrong color when they said that you don't have enough money you come from the wrong family when they said you need to know that's not what the word of God says the word of God says this the word of God says you are the head and not the tail you're above the Bible says this that the world was framed by the words that God spoke and when you make a decision to speak what God said about you you will frame the world that God has created you to live in this is a life called thanks living God wants you to live a life that you sit back and you think oh my God I am so thankful and you've done this for me and in me and through me God wants your life to be so amazing that all you can do is wake up in the morning 
morning and drop to your knees and praise his name. God wants you to live a life that is so amazing that you'll be like David says, God, I don't care what you do. Just don't take your Holy Spirit from me because I can't live without the blessings and goodness you are to me. It comes out of a process of you decided, I'm going to kill these kings that the enemy sent into my life. I'm going to speak against the prophetic voice that the devil has spoken into me since I was a little child. And I'm going to move to a place that if I'm going to let it come out of my mouth, it's going to come from the Word. And when you speak the Word, your life will change. I want to do this. I don't know where you're at. I can promise you this. On your way here today, one of these kings was fighting you. You may have had five in the car with you today when you got out of your car and came into this building. But I'm here to tell you, just like David ran down that hill with just a sling and a stone, God's given you everything in your hand to win this battle. And you'll win and you'll kill each one of these kings by you understanding, if I can give thanks before it happens... God can have an area to show me His Word never fails. It's called thanks living. Does that make sense? Am I, it's thanks living. Yes. Not thanks waiting for it to happen, but it's thanks living. I'm going to praise you right here in the middle. I'm going to praise you right now. I'm going to praise you as if I have already won. I'm going to praise you if I'm already healed. I'm going to praise you as if my spouse has already changed. I'm going to praise you as if you have already, I've already seen Whatever king was in your car, you get the choice right now to decide, is he going to go home with you? And over the next three minutes, we're going to do a song. I've got, I gave them three different songs. (laughs) But the one I want to walk out of here with is called Counting on God. Because you need to know, you can't do it on your own. But the Bible says that he gave the children of Israel the power to destroy each one of these enemies, each one of these kings. And when these kings are defeated, I want you to know something. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When the spirit of heaviness is not on you, praise is a spontaneous reaction. You won't have to make yourself do it once you make yourself do it. The spirit will get off you and you won't be able to keep from doing it. Because everything that has breath was made to praise the Lord. The enemy's going to hold you down as long as he can, but once you decide this king is done, it's over. We'll move into a life that you always knew you could live. We're going to do this song. I want you to think just a minute. You might not know it. You'll know it by the second verse. I want you to think as it starts, which one of these kings has been holding you captive? Which one of these kings has kept you from your promise? Which one of these kings has kept you from enjoying what God has for you? And you decide, that king today dies. He's not going home with me. I'm going to eat good food, and I'm going to go home praising God like I've never praised Him before. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. The words are going to be right here. By the second verse, you'll know it. And you walk out of here knowing God's going to give you victory over every one of these kings in your life. No more will we be about.